0: You have found The Run Around Iowa, the podcast that's dedicated to news and interviews with the athletes, coaches, and personalities who are making headlines in college cross-country, track and field, road running, trail running, and triathlon in the state of Iowa. And now from the home office in Clive, here is your host, Lance Bergeson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special year-end edition of The Run Around Iowa, on this podcast, I will have the best audio moments from 23 interviews I did during the past year. Um, almost all of them were individual interviews. Before I look back at those great moments in 2022, there is some more sadness in uh, the Iowa track and field and cross-country world. Um, I reported in November that uh, Bill Bergen had died. Well, Ted Wheeler, University of Iowa former coach, also uh, passed away on November 17th in Iowa City. He was 91 years old. So it's been a it's been a tough year um, for deaths in 2022. More sadness. Um, Ted was Well, I think more known as uh, for his uh, University of Iowa running career. Um, He was an Olympian for the U.S., uh, running at Melbourne in the 1500 in 1956. He finished second that year at the U.S. Trials, earning his spot to Australia. And uh, in that semifinal, he finished eighth. Uh, That was the first semifinal in in the 1500, running 350.1. Um, None of the three American men did make the finals in that race that year, but it was his second um, shot at trying to make the Olympics in 1952. He finished eighth at the U.S. trials in the 1500. He also qualified for the trials in the 800 both of those years. Um, But looking at his Iowa career as well, he was an All-American in the 800 and 1,500 meters in 1952, uh, ran on the, uh, at the time, Iowa's record-breaking 1,600-meter relay team. And he was just a sophomore then. That was when he qualified um, in the 800 and 1,500 for the U.S. trials, just a sophomore as a a Hawkeye. Um, He, uh, during his time, um, he was in 1956. There was a little break there because he was... um, Drafted into the U.S. Army in 1953, so he spent some time down in Missouri at Fort Leonard Wood before finally returning back to Iowa to continue his track career and education. So in '56, he came back to Iowa, was the Big Ten champion in the 800 in both the indoors and outdoors and also in the mile before, as I said, making that uh, remarkable run to an Olympic berth uh, for the American team. Um, and he, uh, they also had the AAU meet at the time. And he was eighth in the 854, sixth in 55. Um, and then, um, that was in the 800 and then this, in the 1500, he was seventh in 1952. Um, he was a two time champion in the Drake relays in the mile and anchored three championships relays teams. He's a member of the Drake relays hall of fame, as well as the university of Iowa hall of fame and uh, also the Black American Hall of Fame. Uh, as mentioned, he took over as uh, coach. uh 1973, he was appointed head coach of the cross-country team, and he was named head coach of the track team in 1978 until he resigned in July of 1996. Um, he had uh, left the cross-country head coaching program in, in 1987. That was his last year there. Um, so it's, um, they had a service for him on December 2nd at the Lensing Funeral and Cremation uh, Service in Iowa City. And uh, if you're looking to um. Well, help out. They have a Ted Wheeler scholarship fund in memory of Ted. And if you want to contribute to that fund, you can send that to the family of Ted Wheeler. And that's the way it should be written. The family of Ted Wheeler to 605 Kirkwood Avenue in Iowa City. And the zip code is 52240. Um, so that's... Ted Ted was 91, so he lived a very good life, of, uh, definitely, but um, born and raised, not he wasn't an Iowan, though, he was a transplant, uh, born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he was raised in Georgia, Lafayette, Georgia, before um, he moved to Illinois, and then uh, eventually made it to Iowa, where he had a very uh, uh, standout, um, definitely career as a runner, and then later as a coach. Um Iowa also has some other news that came out, um, and it was uh, announced by Athletic Director Gary Barda that head track and field and cross-country coach Joey Woody has been uh, given an extension through June of 2027, and it's well-earned um, for the Iowa City native and former world champion. Um, I believe that was a relay for the Iowa over the U.S. team. He's in his ninth season at Iowa. He's been a four-time Big Ten Coach of the Coach of the Year and a six-time U.S. Track and Field and Cross Country Coaches Association Regional Coach of the Year. Um, and he's uh, led during his time. Joey has led Iowa to forty-nine Big Ten individual titles. 12 conference relay titles, four men's Big Ten team titles. That is the the one that's most impressive of all, of course. Uh, he's had four Big Ten athletes of the year and 199 All-American honors for his athletes. Some of you listening to this may not know this, but Joey Woody, before he came to Iowa, was... A uh, national champion in the four hundred meters uh, for Northern Iowa at the nineteen ninety seven NCAA Outdoor Championships. So four time All American uh, in those, uh, well three times in the four hundred hurdles and also once in the eight hundred. That's just <laughs> amazing to me that he was All American in the eight hundred. Um, he he was a nine time Drake Relays champion, including nineteen ninety four Drake Relays Athlete of the Meet. And um, he was, uh, like I mentioned, he was um, a world champion uh, in 1999 for the U.S. in the 4x4 relay team, also placed second in the 400 hurdles of the 2003 World Championships before he came back to Northern Iowa to spend uh, five seasons as an assistant with the Panthers before eventually moving over to Iowa. While we're talking Iowa universities, Drake University announced the hiring of two assistant track and field coaches for this season. That was also in November from Jay Colesius, their head coach. Hannah Becker and Elise emick Wheeland are going to be on the staff for this winter and spring. Becker is a former University of Central Missouri athlete in the bentathlon and the heptathlon. She uh, was a standout in those sports, um, in those events, sorry. Uh, She graduated with a bachelor's degree in accounting. She is a native of Mount Pleasant, who the past two seasons has been at Lisbon High School as the boys and girls assistant track and field coach. Um, She helped coach uh, student athletes to six state titles in the jumps and hurdles and a Drake Relays champion in the 400 meter hurdles, and, um, she will be ho- coaching. Uh, she will be helping with the jumps and the hurdles, her specialty. Emic um, Wheeland um, is going to be helping with the distance runners as well as helping with logistics. She's a former Southeast Warren High School prep, who ran for South Dakota State and earned her bachelor's degree in nutrition in 2022. So um, she will be helping the distance runners there as well. Elise also is a -A Run-A-Blaze Iowa athlete running for her husband's team. He's the director of that team. All right, before I get into the top audio clips for 2022, I wanted to give you some interesting facts here that came down uh, from Spotify. Um, You've all uh, made this a very uh, popular uh, podcast, and I thank you very much. It is in the top 25%, according to Spotify, of most followed podcasts. Top 25%, so thank you very much. You all, my listeners, are very loyal podcast listeners, and you make this one important uh, enough to uh, take out an hour of your time, Generally, almost every week because I, I made all in all uh fifty four podcasts in twenty twenty two. It is for all of you, um, for the you listed as the number one podcast for thirty five fans out there. It's your go to podcast, so thank you very much. It is a top five podcast for another one hundred and eight listeners out there so that is outstanding there i gotta say i you know i worked hard (laughs) this year at doing this i created over 20 uh, almost 2400 minutes of new content which is 89 percent more than other creators in the sports category on spotify so i'm very proud of that and um well most of um most of my listeners were from the US of course, but uh, my, my top five countries were the US, Australia, because of Adam Fogg. I had him on, uh, former Drake runner. United Kingdom. He now runs for the U- UK as well, and he probably got a boost there. Slovenia and Canada were the top five countries. In all, eight countries listed. Listen to this podcast. It was an exciting year. Uh, a lot of growth with this podcast, and I thank you all very much. In all, like I said, twenty-three guests on the show I had, and that's not including the four episodes that I've had with Josh Yeager, um, who's now a regular. Uh, on this podcast for another eight more months I'll be following Josh's progress and now on to the well highlight um, audio clips and I'm going to start in chronological order, and that means episode 12. It was a chat with Mallory King, former Davenport Assumption prep and now University of Iowa senior. She was going into, well, it looked like it might be her final meet as a Hawkeye. It was the Big Ten indoors. She didn't know if she was going to qualify for the NCAA meet on Iowa's relay, but, um, well, as I like to do, I like to you know, go off beat a little bit and not just talk about track and field running. And with Mallory, I noticed that she went to a Hawaii and landed a very big tuna. And I wanted to get more on that story. And in one of the more lighthearted uh, audio clips of the year, this is how she talked about landing the giant tuna on vacation. Tell me about that big fish story.
1: Uh, that was fun, I think we left the hotel at like three thirty in the morning. Had to, they wanted us on the boat, um, leave the dock before the sun started to rise. So we were up pretty early. So it was pretty tired, and uh, just sitting on the back of the boat, I wasn't seasick, but I was probably, I was just okay. Like if I moved too much, I wasn't sure what would happen. So they they had gone over all the rules, what to do when you hear the reel, Um, and so Connor had caught the first fish of the day, and he caught his sitting in um they had like a bench where you sit or a seat, and they said all right next one we're gonna catch with the belt, and Mallory's got the next one. So when it when it the reel you hear the reel or the line, you gotta hop up. So we're sitting there pretty tired and I think I was nearly sound asleep um, sitting outside in the back yeah. of the boat when I hear the the line start to scream and so I had to jump up and put the belt on uh, put the pole in the belt and had to reel it in and it was it was pretty difficult it took probably like four or five minutes and uh, finally when they got it close our, our guide helped me out and get a spirit or something like that. But yeah, it was, it was a fun experience for sure.
0: My next audio clip is from March 31st. It was a conversation with Annie Ertz, who's a former Marion High and Mount Mercy runner who had just finished her Mustang's career by finishing national runner-up in the NAIA in two different events that year. Uh, the one thing that really just astounded me, just floored me, was her uh, commitment. Um, she uh not only uh was holding down a full time job when I interviewed her, she was also pursuing a master's degree, and running for the Mustangs. All of this while uh, also buying a home at age twenty three. My reaction was just priceless. I just, think, I just think that's funny how you're you're a full time worker and you're. And you're uh, still running college uh, track and field. That's a, that's a different dichotomy there. I I'm still getting my, I'm getting my head wrapped around that how how that all works because you you know you hear about you know students in a master's MBA program you know running but you don't hear of somebody actually holding down a job as well. So.
2: <laughs> a little different situation than most of the other runners that I run against. So yeah.
0: yeah. So where are you uh, were you uh, tra- commuting then, um, to the campus every day from, from where?
3: Yeah. So I bought a house actually last year. So I live in Marion. So I'm about, mm, I think 15 minutes away from the campus. Um, but my coach, I mean, with working full time, I couldn't go to practice every day just because they had practice at um, sometimes three or four o'clock and it was, it was hard just to make practice every day. So I worked pretty closely with my coach. Um, you know, yeah. I'd give him updates on how my training was, and I'd try to meet, you know, with the team at least once or twice a week for workouts or things like that.
0: Uh, obviously, you bought a house, so you're – man, you are really uh, <laughs> got everything going for you right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm
3: trying, but, um, yeah. No, how are how
0: old system. are you? How old are you?
3: I just
2: turned 23.
0: 23 I I didn't have any clue what I was doing at 23 I don't think and you <laughs> and you got everything solved here I right? don't
2: know that I know what I'm doing but you know well I'm, I'm trying Sounds
0: like you do man you got a homeowner guy you're you're on the ball here <laughs> um so um oh what was I going to get to what was my point <laughs> Four episodes later, I interviewed former Cedar Falls High and current Northwest Missouri State runner, Caroline Cunningham. That uh, was in May. And, um, Caroline is married to n- the Northwest Missouri State uh, coach, uh, Wick Cunningham, who is from Knoxville. And, uh, I was, and I knew that coming in, so I really wanted to pursue how they met. And, um, this is a really, um, It's a a longer clip, but it's also really interesting to see uh, how they met and how they got married during the pandemic. It was uh, a very (laughs) fun story that she told.
3: It wasn't until we did a trip down to the Chili Pepper Festival in Arkansas. And before that trip started, my coach was like, we're going to – like, mingle the teams because there was too much of a divide between the women's and men's. And so, um, women and men sat in both vans. We didn't have a women's van and a men's van. And so that's how I ended up in Wick's van. Okay. And so he was driving and I sat in like the front, not like the passenger seat, but the front row of the van.
0: Okay. So it's like a, like a three seater in front. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah sure. And then, um,
0: and you guys just got to talk him?
3: And... Yeah, the entire van fell asleep. And it's like an eight-hour drive.
0: Mm, yeah, and so I
3: sleep. just started talking to him. And at the end of that trip, he kind of liked me and I kind of liked him. Um, <laughs> and so then he would come to the library. I went to the library every night and studied as a freshman with some of my friends on the team. And so he started just magically showing up at the library and would always leave at the same time as me. And so we would always end up chatting. Um, And we started officially dating in December of 2018. And then we dated for 10 months before we got engaged. So we definitely knew there was definitely, um, yeah, we definitely knew that we were uh, wanting to get married and that that was just that this was it. Um, So we got engaged and then we set our wedding date for May, but then the pandemic started um, Mm -hmm. and everything was shutting down. And so we got married the Friday before shelter in place started in Maryville. Okay. Yeah. So we were, go we started getting kind of nervous. We were like, well, you know, is canceled. Track season is canceled. Everything is shutting down. So um, do yeah, we were like, we don't really want to <laughs> wait. So we just went ahead and did it before um, everything shut down. So
0: did you do it in a, ju- in a judge's chamber? Um,
3: um, we actually did get to corner. go to our church. Oh, so it was me two of my friends wick and then two of his friends um and we all went and we had our witnesses and we had a best man and a bridesmaid and um yeah we got married we started at seven we were home by 7 17 uh we ate donuts and chocolate milk with our friends and i think wick and i were asleep before 8 30 <laughs>
0: Another really fantastic interview. As many of you know him is John Taylor III, uh, from Des Moines. He is a, uh, a, a legend in distance running. When I interviewed him, uh, back in May, he became the first man to, uh, qualify for the Boston Marathon Quarter Century Club, which means that he has qualified, he had qualified and finished 25 consecutive Boston Marathons. Well, now he's up to 27 and still going, but that means he doesn't have to ever qualify for a Boston Marathon. But any of you who know John know that he is a great storyteller, and he's got a lot of great stories uh, to share between having atrial fibrillation. Uh, he's, he's had that. Um, he has also had uh, a blood clots in his leg that uh, I, I will get to in a, in a minute here that uh, almost stopped his streak in the Boston marathoning, and he also had a, a, a huge bike accident as well that almost uh, shut everything down, uh, almost shut the streak down when he wiped out on his bike. So John is a great storyteller, and um, this is one of them. This is uh, one of his accidents that he had.
4: This is in October 2003. I got in a bad bike rack, and... I it was in October, there's leaves on the Azona trail and That's so I was riding great. I was riding over these leaves and there's this piece of wood or part of a branch from a tree. Well I hit it and it and it bounced up and got stuck between the front spokes and the front fork of the bike. and I went from 20 miles an hour to zero just like that. landed on the center of my face. I don't even know at the time I had no idea what happened. and then I, noticed my tire wouldn't move when I got up and I saw this piece of wood. So then I, I ride home and every other step there's a drop of blood on my, mm. my leg. And then I go home and go end up going to the hospital and I just, and they sewed up this hole in my upper lip and I remember telling the doctor, the next week I got another marathon to do in Amsterdam and so uh, so he said I could still do that so I go to Amsterdam I bring that piece of wood or that branch with me I hold it in my hand the whole race and then I uh, and to this day that was my fastest marathon at 2.52 was in Amsterdam and I was like this Almost like a hero of the ING employees, because I look like my face was this blood or this gooey mess. And then, so they hear my story, and then seeing me carrying that piece of wood, and of uh, there's over 100 ING employees throughout the world that did that race, mainly from Europe. And I had the fastest time of every one of us. And, and so at my home here, they had me mail my running shoes to Amsterdam and they're bronze saying fastest ING runner, hmm. on Taylor.
0: After hearing that story, you can easily see why many, many people consider John to be a true running warrior. Um, but in the last year, John is also, when I interviewed him back in May, he also had become a new, uh, a new father and, and, and grandfather. He, uh, he, he met a daughter that he didn't know, uh, existed. Uh, they connected as well as his grandkids. And, uh, he was just completely flattered when he found out about all uh, these talented grandkids that he had. I'll let you, I'll let him tell the story.
4: My uh, six grandchildren, they're all big time athletes. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and so like, my new son-in-law was so thrilled to meet me. Mm. That I think, oh my God, <laughs> now I know where the kids got all this stuff from. And, and so uh, like he sees me as a motivator, like we're all planning on doing a trip together to Hawaii in, uh, oh, in yeah. July and um, the kids are saying, like on the plane, I want to sit next to grandpa. <laughs> but yeah. to be, be, be called grandpa just it blows my mind when you never had a kid. And then all of a sudden you have six grandkids. and. Yeah. Uh, so it's the whole thing, just, just in the fact that they live in Norwalk, Iowa. So, like one day, I ran to their house.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: you ran all the way here, <laughs> and so, uh, so the whole thing's just, just an amazing experience. And I grew up in a town. My first job was in a town, Norwalk, Connecticut. So I have all these roots in Norwalk, but not. Iowa. And so now the fact that they're so close is pretty extra special.
0: My July interview with former Des Moines Christian and South Dakota state runner Oksana Covey Johnson was a wide ranging interview that covered a lot of topics uh, from uh, the stresses that athletes at the Division I level are, are under, the pressures that they have, some of the struggles that she had. Well, one of those struggles. Came definitely around when she tried her first, first attempt at a mile on the track. This is what happened.
5: Backstory. Everyone wanted to see me run a mile. And I've never run a mile on the track in my entire life up to this point. And so I was finally, and I was feeling fit. I was feeling really confident in the ability to go and put a decent mile on the track. So that put me in the mile indoors. And I got through, I think, two laps before I was like, and I could, it was just the worst feeling I could ever imagine. Like I hadn't, didn't feel like I could control how fast I was running. I was trying so hard, but it was like, nothing was happening. And I was like, okay, this does not feel great. And it was just, (laughs) I I was like, this, if a mile feels like this every single time, there's no way I'm ever going to race a mile ever again. Um, turns out i tested the next day i tested positive for covid and so i'm mean, it was not a bad mile with covid i still am not super happy with the time but it is what it is
0: it was at an alumni meet at home i'm i'm looking yep. up 505 that's very solid for pm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my
1: covid
2: mile yeah
0: Oksana and I also talked about adoption. She, uh, like my son Lucas, is an adopted child. She came from a Russian orphanage, and she talked about how she a lot of times acted out toward her parents, A lot of, uh, well, a lot of uh, blaming her sibling as well for things. And she said um, that came from her time in the orphanage where it was common to, in order to survive in in an orphanage, that she had to do that. She really painted a dark picture of growing up in an orphanage. And it really definitely um, touched me what she had to say.
5: In the orphanage, it's like you are going to do whatever it takes to avoid whatever punishment it is. And to burst somebody's happy bubbles of what they think orphanages might be. It's, you know, for me, it was, there's no regulations. It's not the United States where people are looking after children or trying to look after children and have these strict guidelines for childcare or whatever. That's not, a universal thing <laughs> so in Russia really like there were not a lot of rules or regulations so you know hitting a child was not out of the norm for punishment or beating them with a belt is not the, out, out of the norm for punishment and so like when that's what you're avoiding you going to do whatever it takes to avoid that punishment and so for me, like even just lying about the simplest things because I didn't want to get in trouble.
0: My next podcast, it was nice to catch up with former Western Dubuque and Warburg College runner Joe Freiberger. Joe uh, shared a memorable road trip that he took in June where he ran a 5K at the Brian Deemer uh, Family of Races in in Michigan and then turned around just a few hours later, drove all the way to Wisconsin for a mile on the track. This audio clip falls under the category of what were you thinking, Joe?
6: Honestly, I thought I could handle all the driving, but then after the five K I drove through Chicago up to Milwaukee and I was just shot. Like that was, that was a really hard double. I've never done anything like that before. Um, and going through Chicago, the traffic was so bad. And I just remember my legs, whole body was tightening up. Body was achy. Couldn't stretch out or anything. And then I got to Milwaukee and closed my eyes for a bit and ended up being like a two-hour nap and woke up, tried to do a little bit of a shakeout. And uh, then by the time I got to the race, the mile race that night, it was just such a shock to the system. The I remember the gun going off, and I literally did like a – 10k delay like everybody shot off the line and i just went straight to the back because i was just so out of it still and i tried to run fast i wanted at least a pr but sometimes you can't ask everything from your body so i ended up running 415 that night and i don't know it just felt like a sprint the whole way
0: joe in that podcast also shared a workout that is notorious among warper college runners called the michigan He described what they go through during this roughly 12-mile workout.
6: Uh, It starts out with a mile at 10K pace, and then you jog to the cross-country course. All your rest in between every rep is 400-meter jog. And you go over to the cross course, you do a 2,000-meter tempo, which is usually like somewhere between 6 flat and 620 Um, which is right around five flat, like 450 to 505 pace, something like that. And then you come back to the track, you do a 1200 at a 3K pace or 5K pace maybe. And then you go back to the cross course, do another 2K, come back to the track, do an 800 at, you know, faster than the last one. then you go back to the cross course, do a 2K, come back to the track for an all out 400 um it's definitely <laughs> a daunting workout like if you haven't if you're yeah. not in the best shape it's a long one it's definitely one of our longer ones of the season i how love it
0: miles, how many miles do you get on, on that uh workout?
6: the work 12? itself is ten thousand meters but then with the rest and stuff added in it's about eight miles usually
0: warm up, warm up? yeah okay
6: and by the time you warm up and cool down i guess then you go yeah 12
0: My podcast at the end of July with Ellie Friesen, who became Ellie Friesen Hodge, was just a hoot. It was was just fun from the very start to the end. She's quite the speaker. And um, when I was doing some research, as I always do with all these podcasts, I was trying to figure out who she was trying to marry, and I could not figure out who it was. So I tried to do some detective work here. I tried to look behind... You know, look, uh, see who might be from Iowa, or who might be, you know, connected uh, to her. And I couldn't figure it out. Uh, I, 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 I guessed with one of the athletes uh, that I thought she might um, have be, be engaged with uh, because, of, uh, because of a post that Ellie had put on Instagram with this individual. So I thought maybe that was him. Well, in this uh, outtake that has never been heard from nobody has ever heard this except for me and ellie recording this at the time uh, i was asking her you know some background information and this is the exchange that she had <laughs> about uh, whether it was um this certain baylor runner that she was engaged to which didn't turn out to be her uh her engaged partner was uh, ryan hodge and um this is <laughs> this is the exchange was Ryan Hodge also a valedictorian in high school?
2: Um, he wasn't, but he does bring that up to me. Okay. <laughs> so like, I guess marrying a really smart woman, I laugh at that because was is pretty big, but it wasn't like some ginormous school where I had, yeah.
0: Because. <laughs> 'Cause I I uh I did look up Drew Snyder and he was a valid validator. Oh
2: shit. <laughs> so. I'll tell Ron, he's got some competition. There's still three weeks so. before this wedding.
0: <laughs>
7: <laughs> That's funny.
0: I'm happy to report the marriage is doing just fine. Ellie and Ryan had uh, their honeymoon out in Hawaii just recently. But also on the podcast, Ellie, who uh, many of you might not have known coming in, was a standout basketball player. She was an all-state basketball player for uh, Cresco of Crestwood, led them to a state championship championship. And uh, a lot of people thought she might go to basketball, but she talked about this decision of deciding between track and field and basketball and whether it was the right one.
2: Yeah. So it's actually funny because it like my sophomore year. I kind of, of high school, I felt like I needed to kind of start deciding because it was hard because it was either, I was going to go, maybe to a division 2 school and try and do both and balance both but then i felt and there's not the more i'm learning just the division wise there is a there is a difference in maybe resources but you see a lot of people come out of those division 3 division 2 schools and have extreme success so i wouldn't say that whatever i maybe should not have canceled that idea out of my head so early on but there was just this goal to go division 1 in one of the sports and i just mm-hmm. felt like okay running was where I could excel the most. Um, and so right away in my sophomore year, I did kind of make that decision. And it, there was a couple, like, contacts from basketball and such, but it was pretty limited to I was going to run. So there wasn't a ton of communication that I had. Um, and it wasn't until then my senior year when it was just – it was so much fun that basketball season. Um, and I experienced mm-hmm. so much success with that team at Cresco. Um, And then I remember like being done with the season and just being like, I just was so happy that it ended that way. Like it was like I was concluding my time playing basketball with truly the best team. Like I wasn't going to have that team again at the college level. Um, And so it was just so sweet to end such an incredible basketball career at the state tournament winning. um, And then it was just like, okay, now it's time to run. So There's been times throughout college where I'm like, wow, maybe basketball would have been easier (laughs) (laughs) because running running just takes such a mental and physical toll on your body. Um, So sometimes I'm like, whoa, maybe that would have been a a better option, but I am so grateful for the people and things that have been placed in my life through running. So there hasn't been a ton of doubt, but sometimes I do. I do still love watching basketball and um, it still makes total sense in my mind. I still, think about what I would be doing on the basketball court, but I'm so grateful I chose to run.
0: Ellie also has some prodigious hair. Um, She posted on Instagram before a meet. I'll just read it here. We finna show up tomorrow, and by we, I mean me, the bun, and Jesus. Um, She also got a little bit of uh, fun uh, criticism from her friends about, well, putting... um, her and the bun ahead of Jesus, but nevertheless, I wanted to know about this hairstyle, and um, little did I know before uh, interviewing her, she had created a trend. So um, tell me about this world-famous bun here. You're known (laughs) for uh, putting your hair up in a bun at all your races. What's the deal there? You just got too much hair?
2: Yeah, I do, and I always just found that, like, I just put a scrunchie in my hair and it sticks like it works I don't put any hairspray any anything it just stays and so the texture of my hair really works for a bun so everyone always they always laugh at it because my freshman year at South Dakota State I would just do that for practice but then I would still wear a ponytail um in races and then everyone started being like why don't you just wear your bun like in me I was like I don't know why I don't so then my sophomore year, I started doing that. And ever since, it's just been a thing. And people always comment on it. But now I'm noticing more and more people wearing buns. Of course, not because of me. But I think they're realizing how practical it is to keep the hair out of your face. Um, uh, so,
0: I think it's because of you. Yeah, I think it's because that's why think
2: All the world championship um, runners were wearing. No, <laughs> they, <laughs> I noticed all the buns then now. And people will text me. They'll be like, so and so, we're a bun. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. Started,
0: you started a trend. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's what we can say.
0: <laughs> in September, I got a chance to meet Jess Smith, a professional triathlete who has moved all around the United States. Before she and her husband uh, landed in Clive to be near family, she is originally from Kansas. Happy to be out of that small town and living in a big metro city. But I also found out from Jess that she's one determined triathlete, one determined person. And she um, she wouldn't take no for an answer when she first started into triathlons.
8: I just I just always thought in the back of my mind I wanted to be a triathlete. And so I graduated from college, I started running, I did my first marathon, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a triathlete someday, I, I probably need to buy a bike. <laughs> so I bought my first road bike for $600, signed up for my first triathlon, of course, it was a half Ironman, and I had a bunch of people say, well, don't you want to do a sprint or an Olympic first? And I thought, why?
0: <laughs> why? <laughs>
8: why, why would I do that? Um, so I did get convinced to do an Olympic first, and then my second triathlon was a half Ironman, and then my third triathlon ever was Ironman Coeur d'Alene, and
0: that 2007? I
8: just, yeah, 2007, and so I was with my husband, my husband then, we were just dating, and after the race, I think, you know, I was probably 20th in my age group, and, you know, was over 12 hours, and I was just like, that was awesome, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to do it again, and he likes to make fun of me, because I said, you know, maybe I can just really train hard, and Maybe I can be a professional triathlete someday. And he's looking at my race results thinking, what are you talking about? Um, but he's, you know, he's now. supportive. He's like, okay, you know, just keep and now training. Who's laughing,
0: right? <laughs> laughing now? And Jess is a tough competitor as well. She earned her first trip to Kona at the Ironman World Championships by the slimmest of margins. It's quite a story.
8: My second Ironman in Arizona two years later, and took off two hours and qualified for Kona by less than a second. Wow! (laughs) Half the poor girl in the finisher shoot, and uh, you
0: know how close it was.
8: I had no idea. I just felt good and like really kicked it in those last couple miles. And we had we were given the exact same time, and her name was alphabetically higher than mine, so they listed her first in the results. and it, it was for the, the second Kona spot. And so they had to go back and actually look at the video and I had stepped across the line just in front of her. Um, so I got the spot and I, I but I had no idea. I had no idea who she was or if she was in my age group or anything. I was just like, eyes on the prize. <laughs> so I always say, you always at least look behind you.
0: Ellie was definitely a four sports star at Crestwood. On the other hand, you had Murga Gameta. A former Sioux City North runner, now running for the University of South Dakota, who, in a September interview, Murga told me that uh, he's glad he found track and field and cross country because he tried another sport and it didn't work out well for him.
7: I have a twin brother who also played soccer in high school,
9: okay. so we were we were
7: playing soccer on the same team uh, before I joined cross country I actually started running cross country my junior year I didn't run like my freshman or sophomore year so Mm, I played soccer pretty much my freshman and sophomore year but before I joined cross country I was on the track team and I was playing JV I thought I was good enough to be on the varsity team but Mm. my coach decided to put me on the JV so I kind of Got through my head. I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to be, I don't want to play soccer anymore. So I started, I, I joined cross country the same year I quit soccer. And then since then, it was just, I fell in love with cross country. So that was the story. That's how I started running. I, I didn't really take it serious running like until my senior year. Because mm. I just joined because like I didn't want to play soccer anymore. But that's the main reason I joined. But I started taking it seriously my senior year. And then, yeah, and then since then, I just
0: keep running. Back. Former Iowa State All-American Hillary Bohr has had a tremendous professional career. He's been a two-time Olympian for the United States in the steeplechase, 3,000 meters. Yes, running over barriers, and it's a fairly short race for, well, for distance races. But Hillary shared with me in an October interview that, well, he doesn't really burn, try to do a lot of quick 400-meter uh, workouts or 800-meter uh, repeats. He focuses on the longer stuff, and it was a bit surprising to me.
7: For me, when I train, I don't train like uh, most of, how most of the Steve Rogers has It's most of the track guys do. I My favorite workouts, when I know I'm fit, I can tell from a, a faster long run or a longer tempo. I don't like, those are my favorite workouts. It's just long tempo, climbing myself, like running hard for a longer period, or a long long run. So I don't like shorter stuff. I don't like speed specific. I'm not sure it's because I'm getting old or my body is not on the balance, but like, I enjoy. I really so I, I enjoy now longer stuff so temporary and long run has been and hill walk has been uh, my favorite workouts in the last few years.
0: Twenty twenty two gave me a chance to learn a new word in running terminology and former Earlham High and Hamlin University runner Andrea House was more than willing to share a new term she had come up with. She and her group at Mill City Running and um, she talked about uh, this new terminology that she comes up with, the class clown herself, Andrea House.
1: Um. (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) I'm always I'm always
0: just you seem like a real positive person so to to, you know to
1: heckling could be positive heckling is positive okay Um, yeah I'm always I'm always um running around usually being loud usually talking giving people crap um
6: okay
1: yeah heckling can be a lot of different things but um I usually try to bring the energy wherever I go so I think that's where that comes from um we also have a term that was coined by one of our race team members called speckling um and that's spectating and heckling so um you know even if you're not racing we encourage you to come speckle a race so there's a lot of a lot of good heckling going on up here
0: it was a strong end of the year with podcasts with Andrea. It was a fun one with, with her. And then with Jeremy Fatma, former Marion Central College and now current Maranatha Baptist student. Jeremy, a four-time National Christian College Athletic Association Division II National Champion in cross country. Four times he, he, he won it i i uh, I did a little research on Jeremy, and when he first got to Maranatha um, there was a question posed to him about three things that he can't live without basically three things that he has to have every day and uh, well, it was interesting because I wanted to look back at what his what he thought now are the three things that he can't live without, as opposed to what he said when he was a younger student, and the results were very telling. Here's the story.
9: I don't remember what I wrote down. I probably wrote down like,
0: well, that's why. Uh, that was like your sophomore year, maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe sophomore year. You asked that. Now I'm yeah. Kind of sure. Now that you're, um, you know, a senior, you're going through your master's. Yeah, things, other things um, change.
9: A little bit in your life from what you said yeah I definitely need my wife to survive she just uh, right, keeps me calm right. and balanced <laughs> um, like <laughs> getting married like my grades go up because she's more diligent and she's like what do you have to do next and or if I'm writing a paper she she's willing and ready mm-hmm. to talk through it and explain some things I'm just like I don't know how to explain this or whatever. So. Maddie's just huge. And honestly, like, if I'm to get better and pursue running, um, my Maddie's gonna have to help me the most. Like, she's a great coach and a great, like, um, encourager, challenger. So, Maddie's right up there. Um, and then, um, she's gonna be a big breadwinner here, you know, <laughs> you know, you just need a community around you for sure. And if there, you're gonna yeah. develop at running or, um, and I really see just the church body as a community that I have um, that has always encouraged me in running, has challenged me in my walk with God, had all these different things. And so um, you just gotta have a community around you. That's probably the number two. And then um, it sounds cliche or whatever, but I just, um, I love spending time in the word and um, that's been important each day, just to get in the word, take some time and pray. And so I just really need my Bible to be with me and I can have that on my phone or whatever, but. um. Oh, wow. I mean, this is a complete, this is completely different uh, (laughs) from what you said
0: three years earlier. Yeah. Um, You said three things you need to survive uh, in the previous one was my legs, a pair of running shoes and a free hour every day. How about
4: that? Your perspective
0: is completely changed. Yeah. Uh, view,
9: first view for this. I'm thankful uh, I have grown and matured a little bit over yeah. the years
0: <laughs> it was fun to look back at some of the top moments for more than 1200 minutes of interviews with these individuals I hope you'll be along for the ride in 2023 as I interview more of Iowa's most prominent runners triathletes and coaches and i'm happy to report i will have former iowa state all-american dan kurtz as my lead-off guest for the 2023 season listen in as dan tells of his new venture mountain and trail running while he lives in vermont that'll all come next week thanks for listening